Hello, I'm Alan Lipsey, and welcome to the CFA UK In Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals all about issues, interests, and insights in today's profession. In this episode, I'll be talking to John Citron, a Emerging Markets Portfolio Manager at JP Morgan Asset Management. So, John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. Hello. Nice to meet you. Um, now, today we're discussing Benjamin Graham and value investment. Um, as we know, I'm sure you know, uh, this year value as a factor has performed, has performed pretty well um, after quite a few not so good years. So this is what we're going to talk about a little bit. John, I know you wrote a, a CFA award-winning essay on Benjamin Graham several years ago. So I thought today we could talk a little bit, discuss how well his investment principles apply in a world usually focused on growth. Um, so today, Ben Graham would probably be classed as a deep value investor. Is, is that fair? I think that's definitely fair. Yeah. I mean, I think um, what people remember Graham for most, and maybe I can kind of add some nuance to it, because I think it's probably a bit of a caricature in some ways, but he was most famous um, as an investor working in the, the Graham-Newman partnership as it was for buying these uh, really very cheap stocks. And you, you have the colorful analogy of of cigar butts, where you find a business that's really distressed, but maybe has one last puff of life in it that could cause an upward inflection in the share price. More technically, he, he has the net nets where a business is trading below below liquidation value. Uh, but yeah, certainly those kind of things are what he's most famous for. And that, that, that really would be what people call deep value today. Well, markets can't ignore these stocks, as you know, uh, for long periods. But how would his principles apply in today's markets? Because Really, it's there's been some unprecedentedly long periods for the uh, growth markets and tech stocks, whatever, to do well. How, how would he apply his principles today if you were trying to put him, bring him back from the dead, as it were? Yeah, well, look, I think what, what you have to do is kind of read everything he's written. And I think if you do that, what you realize is that there's a slight difference between Ben Graham, the investor, and, and Ben Graham, the teacher and scholar of investment practice. And I think I think what you kind of get to realize is that these very, very cheap stocks are where he thinks you can make the most money. And so as an investor, that's kind of what he's he's looking to do. And they're also kind of somewhat peculiar to the time he's he's working just after the great crash in the stock market. But if you read him more broadly, he has wisdom that applies to a kind of whole broader range of the stock market and, and, and obviously the bond market too. Um, and I think it becomes quite clear that, you know, he does see other ways to invest and those other ways probably are a bit more pertinent to, to the market today. Um, so I wanted to kind of bring some quotes to this discussion. And I'm going to start with this one from a, a PC co-authored in 1937, where he writes, it is only in the exceptional case that book value or liquidating value plays an important role in security analysis. In the great majority of instances, the attractiveness or the success of the investment will be found to depend on the earning power behind it. So, you know, there he is kind of explicitly saying there's, there's more than one way to do this, you know, that, that you can make a lot of money in these extreme deep value opportunities, but that's just a small part of the market. And when you're looking at securities more generally, you, you need to know a, a lot more. And I think you kind of see that progress through Ben Graham as, as you read the books over time and you know, that security analysis obviously written in, in the 30s. And then by 19, 
70s, you have intelligent investor, and he's, he's talking about the ideal business being sound, reasonably attractive, and moderately priced. So we've kind of gone from extreme pricing to, to moderate pricing. There's more of an idea of business quality. And he really fleshes out that idea in, in some of what he, he he talks about in terms of, you know, what, what does a sound business look like? Well, it's all about earnings power. He focuses a lot on dividends. And at one point, he talks about businesses that have paid dividends for 20 years being you know, evidence that they they've got staying power and can go on. So I, th- I think, like I say, I think you've got Graham the investor, the investor, and Graham the teacher. And Graham the teacher certainly has plenty to say about you know a broader range of markets, including the markets we find ourselves in today. So in the past, I, I mean, I was a value investor as I was telling you. Actually, I was doing emerging markets and investing for value. And would he? Do you think he'd excuse higher multiples if he saw lots of free cash flow to come? And the potential for dividends later. Yeah, it's a great question, um, and he actually explicitly answers this question, and he he asks it himself and answers it in chapter twenty eight of security analysis called called the dividend factor. Um, and basically, the answer is that he he would excuse it, but he just thinks it's uh, a bad bet. He thinks that people excuse it too often. People are optimistic that. Um, that some of these cases where where the you know there's not much dividends or earnings today and it's all coming in the future, people think or hope that these things will play out with more frequency than they really do. Um, so why does he think this will fail? Well, he says you know in theory you could pay uh, you could pay no dividends and this could this could be justified if you're reinvesting the capital really well into the business, but that in most cases this fails as a plan. And again, I'll quote him here. He says. You know, this fails for two reasons, either A, the reinvested profits fail to add proportionally to the earning power, or B, they're not true profits at all, but reserves that had to be retained merely to protect the business. And anyone who's, who's familiar with the writings of Warren Buffett will recognize point B as being Buffett's famous owner earnings definition from his, his 1986 letter. But, but I guess the, the point more, more broadly is that Graham can see principle he agrees in theory you could justify paying a very high multiple for a business in theory a business can justify paying no dividends at all um uh, it's just that he thinks that all too often management will do this or, or the market will value a business in this way and it will turn out not to be the case and and I, I should note i guess that this isn't anything new and you know reading graham is always a real kind of interesting exercise in financial history and so uh, an intelligent investor, he talks about Texas Instruments, and he notes that between 1953 and 1960, the business paid no dividends to shareholders, and the stock price rose 25 times. And he looks into this and, and investigates whether you know not paying dividends was justified, and whether the, the valuation was was justified also. Um, so I think the way I would the way I would think about it is that it's it's a debate about probabilities and how likely some of these truly exceptional businesses are to exist. Um, and I think. Really, when you read Graham back, you sort of think probably he's on too skeptical a side of of that debate. Um, and there's there's some areas where, with hindsight, you know, when you read it, he just seems to have got things a bit wrong. So uh, there's this great bit in security analysis where he lists out all the businesses that he thinks are perceived by the market of, as growth investments. And this is back in the 1930s, which in reality he thinks are pretty risky or speculative and haven't really proved much. And the list basically includes every company that would go on to dominate corporate America for the rest of the 20th century. So it's Coca-Cola, it's IBM, it's Dow, it's Sherwin Williams. They're all value stocks today. Yeah, well, I guess there's one lesson that you go from growth to value. But I think the other is 
that you know you really take this lesson from from Graham reading back that the, it's how resilient the the behemoths of corporate America have been over cycles. And I guess uh, I guess you know maybe if he was here today, he he would have kind of noted that. And uh, I guess in 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 like the modern terms, he would have adjusted his base rates and and maybe allowed for some some more of these businesses to exist. Um, right, yeah, you know I think. Um, Okay, maybe just add one, one example there. I think, you know, if you were to look at a business like Microsoft or something today, which is, you know, one of the largest businesses in the world, it's a high profile stock. You know, would, would Graham have an issue if someone wanted to invest in Microsoft? I, I don't really think so. I mean, it's got earnings power. It's got 20 years of dividends. The business is pretty predictable. It has a large recurring revenue base. You know, it's, it's got many of the ingredients he talks about. And even if it's not in a distressed valuation, it's certainly, uh, you could say maybe it wasn't one for the Graham Newman partnership, but it could be one for, for any other investor who's, who's kind of around today. I wonder now, because we're having another period, uh, and I say another because it happened uh, in the sort of mid-naughties, uh, where private equity is starting to buy up uh, high free cash flow, boring, perhaps forgotten stocks. And I just wonder if you think um, private equity, maybe even venture capital investors are today the, the, the actual Graham disciples. And, uh, they have much shorter term, you know, they need an exit, right, to sell, but still. I think, um, well, Graham certainly didn't mind a short-term investment. You know, he, he was kind of the original merger arp guy where, where that's yeah. happening. But I think I think that, that that certainly wouldn't be an issue for him. I mean, the, the, I suppose that the quintessentially Graham thing that's missing from, from private equity and venture capital is something we haven't touched on, which I guess really is probably Graham's most enduring gift to the world, which is the character of Mr. Market, you know, this... Yeah. This guy who who comes and can quote you totally different prices for the same business weeks apart on the basis of his mood swings. And, you know, that whole psychological aspect of investing is really only there in the purest sense in, in public markets. Um, private equity, yeah, sure. I mean, I think being, you know, having that discipline around cash flow and, uh, and, and as you say, maybe some of these less loved sectors, um, but where there's, there's kind of money to be made. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think... I would I would note kind of um, Graham himself seems quite skeptical about you know debt and I think at one point he talks about not wanting debt to be more than one hundred and ten percent of current assets and this kind of thing. So mm. but there's that. Um, although I, I guess on the other hand, if you read through, I think particularly by the time you get to intelligent investor, he he does kind of position himself uh, subtly, I guess you could say, on the on on the more activist side of the spectrum, and, and he talks about how. You know, when a business is having problems, it calls for the best brains and the best people, and not just necessarily the management of the business, but whoever else is in the market. So, I think when I think of private equity, yeah, I think on the valuation side, certainly there's elements of it, and uh, on the debt side, probably less so. On on the kind of activism side, maybe a bit more so. I think by the time you get down to venture capital, clearly that's just kind of not for Graham. I mean, he has this famous line when he talks about growth investing, um, and this is in security analysis. He says. Security analysis must ordinarily proceed on the assumption that the past record affords at least a rough guide to the future. The more questionable this assumption, the less valuable is the analysis. And so I think for him, you know, investing in new businesses with no background at all and, and no past with which to guide the future, I think that's just not for him. So VC, no, uh, private equity to, to some extent, but I, I do think there is this kind of quintessential Mr. Market psychological aspect to Graham that, you know, it's just... What makes what makes markets so fascinating, and kind of I think what he loved a lot about them as well. So that leads us to another area, neatly, which is he would probably I think he would avoid chasing theme stocks or sectors. Uh, 
but what would he have made of ESG and climate change themes? These, to a certain extent, aren't really proven. There isn't that much history on them, but I think there's a sort of sense of a truism building now. That every, you know, I'm not a, a climate change denier or anything. I'm just simply saying, you know, that it's just now become more and more accepted that this is the way. There's obviously a price to pay for some of these talks, but what do you think he would have made of ESG today? Uh, yeah, let me take that in a few, in a few parts. Um, I think on, on ESG specifically, um, you know, clearly at the time he's writing, environment isn't at the centre of his mind. And I, I think if you, uh, you know, I, le- I was leafing through as you were asking that question. If you look in the index of intelligent investor security analysis, there's no references to to the environment at all. Um, and so it's kind of a different time. I mean, I, what I would say is that what Graham is clearly focused on is earnings power and you know, earnings power is about the through cycle ability of the business to make money. And to take the classic example, if you're, you know, a coal producer and the world's going to stop buying coal, then your earnings power doesn't look so good. And, you know, I guess on another kind of typical example, if you're uh, a commodities manufacturer and you have a major spill and that leads to poor government relations and reduces your chance of winning future contacts and you have long-term cleanup costs, all these kind of things, these would also impact on earnings power. So I think, he would probably view those kind of issues through that prism, um, particularly on the environmental and social side. Although, I mean, really, that's just that's just a best guess because they weren't huge issues at the time. Um, governance is obviously something that is more uh, very much around when he's writing, uh, and he he writes a lot about um, you know the uh, I think he talks about the real abuses in uh, management compensation, especially through the use of stock options at inadequate prices, which is obviously you know something that's there again today. Uh, again, and I was just looking at this. You have him. You have him writing about boards that lack a majority of independent directors, and he says, in this case, the notion that directors act as a check on management is patently incorrect. So I think, you know, the, the G with an ESG, he would probably have a bit more time for um, the, or at least it, it's easier to divine what he thought because he he writes about it clearly, and, and I guess it's tied up with human psychology, and it's kind of always going to be a feature of things. The, the E and the S part. From what he writes, I guess we can only really imagine through the prism of earnings power, but certainly through that prism, there's there's much you could kind of tie in with with what he said. Um, it's funny you mentioned themes. I mean, if if, if we have a minute, I, I would kind of comment a bit on themes. Um, and you know, I think one, one one interesting thing when you try and um, think about Graham and and where he was. Uh, writing and, and how, what he might think today, you have to kind of remember the environment he's in. And I, I think actually, you know, if the biggest theme in markets, apart from maybe ESG, has been you know all the attention you've seen on on memes and these stocks like GameStop and AMC and and their Reddit fan bases, I mean that particular theme would be much more familiar to Graham. I think um, you have to remember he wrote security analysis in response to the madness of markets that led to the bubble and ultimate crash in the 1920s. And if you read histories of that time, the 1920s stock market. You have all these real standout characters, and, and one of them is the is a, is a lady, the astrologer Evangeline Adams. Uh, she had this huge audience of, I guess, what you know today would be recognised as followers. These are people investing in her stock picks, um, which which in turn were really just based on cosmological readings. So she has a radio show, books, a mail order newsletter. She's making fifty thousand dollars a year in in nineteen thirties money. Yeah, that's the background against which Ben Graham is trying to bring some method to the prevailing madness. So I think you know he would see everything that's going on with Reddit, TikTok influences, meme stocks, and think, yeah, I, I recognize this. And I, I guess that's kind of the brilliant thing about markets, right? They reflect some kind of deep thing in human psychology that never changes. And so you know, every every hundred years, it's the same stuff back all over again. 
Oh, terrific. Okay, that's all great. I think we've brought it to the modern day. Um, thanks a lot, John, for uh, for chatting to me and to the, the members today. It's all really good. Um, and, and thank you all very much for listening. Uh, look out for our next podcast details in the regular CFA UK newsletter or subscribe to CFA UK's SoundCloud channel. You can find out more at www.cfauk.org slash podcast. So John, thanks again. Thanks very much. It was great. Enjoyed it.